Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. Stack Waddy Game, I've got a great one. I've oh got a God. great one. Uh, and this is, Fire away. This is British um, uh, exploitation, uh, pop exploitation films of the 60s. Okay? Oh, good. You, know, you know the kind of thing? Yeah. They, they put together a, you know, a kind of a swinging soundtrack in order to sell some idea to the, yeah. to the kids. You know? So, okay, five of them here. One of them is made up. Okay. Yep. It's Trad, Dad. Oh, very good. Yeah, go on. The Miniskirt Murders. Very good. Yeah, like it. The Pleasure Girls. (laughs) Yeah. Gonks Go Beat. These are brilliant. Yeah. and, And Cucumber Castle. It's Trad Dad, The Miniskirt Murders, The Pleasure Girls, Gonks Go Beat, and Cucumber Castle. Well, it's Trad Dad. It's Trad Dad was a real film. I'm sure I can remember that. It was. Um, it was. I'll let the, you like. uh, Pleasure Girls, yeah, Gonks Go Beat, I'm suggesting is real too, because gonks were a big thing, as was beat music. Some clever person put them together, and it wasn't <laughs> you. And... Uh, Cucumber Castle, I don't think is is exciting enough to be the one you made up. Um, I'm saying it's either Pleasure Girls or it's... It, do you know what? It's the miniskirt murders. Don't you it? bastard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. It's so That's difficult. brilliant. Yeah. Were they yeah. British films? They were, were they? It's Red Dad was a kind of a EMI-financed exploitation film with kind of Kenny... Oh, Ford yeah. All, all, those, uh, all those people in it. And uh, the Pleasure Girls is a real film about... Uh, I'm like girls going crazy and swinging London. Gongs go beat it. That's a fantastic. I, I think it features gr- the Graham Bond organisation. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. I do believe it does. And Cucumber Castle was a film that made starring the Bee Gees. 
This is actually a Bee Gees record called Cucumber Castle uh, during the sort of late 60s period. So there you go. You win that one. That's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, we didn't really have an equivalent to the beach movies of of America, did we? Do you remember all those movies with Annette Funicello? Not that I ever saw any of them. Beach Blanket. They were always called sort of poolside pushover. No, it's Beach beach usually of the way. Beach Blanket Bingo Bingo was the classic. That's right. And it was always Annette Funicello in a a, a bikini. Tab Hunter and Russ Tamblin. That's exactly it. Involved. That's and the exactly soundtrack it. by Dick Dale that's and uh, the Safaris and so forth. So what have you got for me then? I've Go got on. for you, okay, pop stars advertising products oh, in did the last really 50 do? years. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah, right. Five of these items were endorsed by these acts and one of them wasn't. Okay. And it is your mission to <laughs> try and spot the ringer. Okay. That's a good so idea. Cream, no. okay, Cream... Once did an ad for an American beer called Fullstaff. Okay, that's the first right, one. Okay, yeah, yeah. Jefferson Airplane wrote a single, uh, a jingle rather, for uh, for Levi Jeans. Right. All right. Uh, Black's Anyone Who Had a Heart was used to promote Wall's heart-shaped strawberry ripple ice cream. Okay. Oh, Dusty Springfield did a TV ad for Mother's Bride Bread. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay, then leaping a few decades uh, into the present, actually, Marilyn Manson once advertised a a, a type of uh, 66.6% alcohol proof mansanth. There was a kind of absinthe called mansanth. And Snoop Dogg promoted. You always have uh, six. You always have six. Go on. I always have six. I do. Snoop Dogg promoted Burger King's grilled dogs. (laughs) So you've got Snoop Dogg, Marilyn Manson, Dusty Springfield, Silver Black, Jefferson Airplane. Oh. And cream. You had Dusty Springfield, didn't you? Mother's, Mother's Pride. Yeah, uh, I'm going to pick that one. That actually, that one's real. God, oh, wow! Well I know, no. If you go to, if you Google it, you can find it's extraordinary. She appears in it too, <laughs> as is, and also is real. Cream, cream did that for full stop, which is brilliant. A clear beer from St Louis brings you cream from London. Full stuff, the thirst slaker. This is this is uh, uh, Jack Bruce singing. Full stuff, the thirst slaker, the beer that can slake any thirst. This is 1966. Uh, Jefferson Airplane, I think, right now with your white Levi's in 1968. Marilyn Manson's real, Snoop Dogg's real. No, the one I made up actually was Cilla Black. Oh, right. Cilla Black did have that, but also there was an ice cream at the time called Heart. I can remember thinking as a kid, I was thinking that would be a brilliant song to advertise. It should have been a tie-in. But the one that I was going to put in, but I couldn't work out if it was real or not. Have you heard about it? It's one called Wake Up in the Morning, Rice Krispies by the Rolling Stones. Yes, there is. Oh, it's real. Is that real? Uh, Oh, it is real. Oh, it is real. They did, yeah, quite early on, 63 probably. They did uh, a kind of a raging R&B version of the, R- of the Rice Krispies theme. I don't think they appear in it. But they, you, no, they, they don't they appear do the in it, but it's ja- it sounds like Jagger, certainly. It t- does. Again, that's on YouTube. Wake up in the morning, there's a snap around the place. <laughs> yes. Wake up in the morning, there's a crackle in your face. Yes. It's, just, <laughs> it's absolutely amazing. I but found all sorts of other ones. Iron Butterfly did a roll-on deodorant air. Oh, who did the Coca-Cola? Legendary Coca-Cola. They, you know, tell you well, who did most strangely. They did an ad for joining the United States Air Force. And this, oh, right. this is the, in the middle of the war in Vietnam, so it's slightly more controversial than, God, that than, is. than ordinarily. You know? Well, well I, I, I Dave, managed David, to get to this point in my life not even knowing that. So David, yeah. Bowie, uh, David Bowie. Oh, he did sake, didn't he? Japanese sake? Oh, he did all sorts of things. He did an ice cream called Love. L-U-V. Oh, yeah, he did. That was the 60s, it, isn't it? Yeah, 65, 66. That's right. Like that. yeah. That's right. 
So and Ringo started Pizza Hut, of course, quite recently. Oh, did he? Yeah, yeah. Oh well, okay. Oh, well, that, so well, talking that's... of sixties, talking of sixties, uh, 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 kind of uh, well, in this case, dreamboats, Diana Rigg. Yes. Oh, yes. be still my beating heart. Absolutely. It's a yeah. What was God? Key? I adored her. But I adore. I all red blooded men adored her, and and all kinds of blood, other <laughs> other kind of colours yeah. of blood. Um, but uh, what I remember, I remember she was first female that my father and I both agreed that we fancy. I don't think there was I would ever say any, that's true with my, I, like my dad. I don't too. think there was any discussion about it. But you know, no, but you could tell. You could tell that he. Should we? Should we watch uh, the Avengers? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm slightly keen. Yeah. I know. <laughs> and the other big, but the other big ones for me: Julie Christie, Jane Fonda, Francoise Hardy. Oh Francoise Hardy. Well, still, yeah. Francoise Hardy. Yeah, Francoise Hardy. There was a brilliant. Uh, episode with Dylan, which I'm sure you can remember. You, you remember that Dylan? Dylan uh, was playing at the Olympia in Paris in yeah, 1966. Yeah. He did his acoustic set and he could see Francois Hardy in the second row wearing an amazing kind of hands tooth um, trouser suit. And he told the promoter that he wouldn't go on and play the second half, which was the electric set, unless Francois Hardy had been brought backstage to meet him. Pretty amazing, wasn't it? That's, so they had to go and get her. That's pulling power. That it is. is pulling power. So we were talking about we were talking about um, uh, Diana Rigg, and you, and you informed me that Emma Peel was the interesting derivation of the. Uh, well, of the, I, see again, I had no idea. I didn't. Go on. Expl- and well, apparently, it was an expression, an expression in the sixties, which is male appeal, was known as M appeal. So in the script, they wanted a girl who had to play that part, who had M appeal, had male appeal, man appeal, rather. And they eventually finished up calling her M appeal. I mean, that's why I just never knew. I know, I and you and I were having this conversation because I said, I also only discovered about Sandy Shaw, that that was a pun, yeah. quite recently. And then you tweeted it. I did. You see, and this I is got a huge reaction. This is extraordinary, you know, because I uh, I probably knew more recently than you, but it still took me a long time. During during the, you know, the Sandy Shaw's period of a huge hits in the 60s, I was not aware at all that Sandy Shaw was some kind of smart pun, supposed to mean a sandy, you know, seashore. Seashore, right? never crossed anyway. my mind. And, and, and that possibly this also tied in with the idea that she, was, she uh, uh, sang in bare feet, you know. Yeah. Feeling the sand between her toes, kind kind of thing, and so I just I just tweeted this. You know, it took, it was years before I realised that Sandy Shaw was a pun, and it was amazing the response. The loads of people going, "My God, I've know, only just realised that when you yeah. said it, and I'm 62," kind of thing. You yeah, know? and then you get a load of people going, "No, I'm sorry, I still don't get it. I what don't get it. it. It's got to be and explained it, to me." And it's really hard to explain the thing to you. And then you get a load of people from Scotland saying, "Well, no, it doesn't work up up, up here because we say Sandy Shaw in a different way." And I, I don't entirely understand. I didn't understand that. I didn't understand <laughs> that. Maybe it's a real southerner. And, and then there, there were people saying, "Oh, in the north, it doesn't make sense." Well, I come from the north, and you know, it, it sort of makes sense to me. You know. But it's really odd how you can kind of, um, you know, these puns, if you don't get them straight away, you just kind of look past them, don't you? you yeah. Don't, you don't hear them at all. And, of course, the classic case, I got loads of response to this with, with loads of things that pointed out that 
you know, for instance, Adamant, Adam Ant, Adamant, Adamant, which was, uh, I think, partially pinched from a. Well, Adam Adamant, wasn't it? There was, it was a, a TV, TV sort of Saturday hero, kind of yeah. rock Doctor Who type thing, yeah. called Adam Adamant, and uh, and people bought it, pointing out that, um, which I never knew, that Perry Farrell, I didn't know that, and Jane's addiction is peripheral. I, know, which, I mean, what a weird thing to want to allude to anyway. It just makes it's not terribly exciting, but isn't that with Perry Farrell? I, but I, I didn't know because no one was his real name. I second thought of that. And of course, <coughs> one somebody, somebody told me years ago, which I didn't know at the time, but I got I got to know a few years later, is Faye Fife from the Faye Fife, no, that's right. I, I didn't know that until quite recently. Which is, Faye Fife, which in Scotland, you talk about being from something. You say Faye, aren't you? You're Faye Glasgow. Like, yeah. And uh, I can't do the Faye, 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 Faye. And she's from Fife, so she's Faye Fife. She's Faye Fife. That's absolutely amazing. Isn't it? That is a really good one. That is. It is a, good. It's a really good one. It's a brilliant um, one. Pete Briquette. I was. I think I got because I knew what a Pete Briquette was. And apparently, but, I mean, a lot of people must have thought that's just a strange name because a Pete Briquette was a briquette made of peat. But also, on your fire. it also is something that you apparently saw quite commonly saw by the roadside in in rural Ireland. You'd go past a garage. Yeah, and that's be right. Selling, and they'd be selling peat briquettes, you know. That's they'd, right. they'd be there, you know. And so, yeah, I, 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 I don't think I was aware of that at the time. And there was something, I, somebody pointed out one yesterday, and, I, and I've got their albums here. I bought these records. Go on. And I've, I saw them live in 1971, actually. Flo and Eddie. Flo and Eddie, who are, you know, Mark, uh, who are they? Um, uh, Howard, Kalen, the Howard, Howard Kalen and Mark Volman, formerly the lead singers of the Turtles, yeah. went out on, the, on their own and then sang with Frank Zappa and then made records on their own. And they, Is that they, a pun? Flo and Eddie? They, no, it's still something. Think about it. Flo and Eddie. It's, it's what happens. It's, it, wind flows. Oh, right, 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 right. And Eddie, As in water. Yeah. Well, yeah, I oh. suppose so. Yes. Oh, yes. Absolutely. A river would flow in any way. Yeah, yeah they're, they're terms related to the, the movement of water. And I've just told you that now. I this had is, no idea. Yeah, this, this is classic. Oh. This is classic. No. Of course, I mean, that is pretty, that's pretty esoteric, isn't it? I mean, I well, you, got that. well, you didn't know the one about Johnny Marr, but actually I don't even know if that's true now. There was various people on your thread were saying it wasn't true, but Johnny, Johnny Marr, we always thought around the time of the arrival of the Smiths was based on the fact that uh, the, the, it meant I'm bored in French. In French. Jean, Jean Aymar. I'm bored. But apparently not. It was just a different way of spelling because his name is John Mayer, isn't it? Which is That's the right. same, same as the drummer from the Buzzcocks or yeah, one, yeah. Of the, one of the members of the Buzzcocks. And uh, the one that, that, another one, I only realized, I used to, when I used to have a radio program on, on GLR, yeah, I'm for 10 years, there's certain records I used to play a lot. And one of my favourites was, uh, oddly enough, I haven't played it for years, uh, my bar group formed by, what's his name, Gary Clark, who was formerly Danny Wilson, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. Group. Okay. And I used to play this record all the time. So that's Santo by Santo. I used to really, I always like it. And the name of the group was King L. Okay. Oh, as King, in... It, as in, well, I, 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 for years, completely innocently, I, to, I love that King Al record. Never occurred to me for a second that, that it, is was, brilliant. It, it was a kind of, you know, 
a rude expression in any way. Of course, the other ones I'm just reading up here are obviously Buster Blood Vessel. That's yeah, yeah. That's kind of straight. Polystyrene. Uh, XTC, you know, ecstasy, lip sync, you know, lip sync. I didn't know lip sync. I didn't know that. Did you? Lip sync? No, no, that's news to me. You kind of say it. And then, you know, somebody suggested members are gong. Was it Didier Malherbe? Well, that's just a sort of... Didier is a French name, and Malherbe means... Wasn't his name Captain Maldegrasse? Yeah, Maldegrasse, Badgrass, Malherbe, all that kind of thing. But, of course, the classic one, apart from the rapper called Flo Rida, which, of course, means Florida, the classic one, people were still saying that they only kind of saw it quite recently. And this this boggles the mind, really, but it... Illustrates point about this, the Beatles. Yeah, I know the Beatles. Because you did, you thought of it as a pun at the time. If you thought of it as a pun at the time, you forgot it very quickly. It just, just became the name it. of the group, and because you didn't they, sit there and think that's an agonisingly awful. We've had this conversation on podcasts past him. That is the Beatles the worst name for a group? Well, ever? probably <laughs> it is, but it is because it is still remarkable, isn't it? That it is absolute entertainment phenomenon. And and right and, and and probably this evening somewhere in Britain, there's some eighteen year old going, Oh God, the Beatles, the oh Beatles. I get it. Beat music. Beat yeah. music. I know. <laughs> it, they, you know. Talk about hiding in plain sight. That's absolutely yeah. astonishing. Somebody else put on I think it was Nice Tassel, our old pal, was t- talking about electric light orchestra. T- it took him ages to get that gag that it yes. could either be an orchestra called Electric Light or it could be um, uh, you know, uh, a light orchestra, a, 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 a electric light orchestra, exactly. Yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. worth both ways. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's so funny because you you just absorb these things at a certain age, and if you don't spot them at the time, you don't spot them at all. You never saw. Okay, another one I I never knew. Chubby God. Checker. Oh, was God, a play yes. on Fats Domino. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. That never crossed my mind. I didn't until know that yesterday. I didn't know that at the time, but I probably knew it a few it's years. It's incredible. Ago. And nor did yeah. I know that Sugar Babes was a play on Spice Girls. I didn't. Still didn't know that. No, no. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Sugar Babes. Of so anyway, look. If you've, uh, you know, if you've got any more, you probably you may have more. You know, I feel that there are. There are probably yeah, there's a whole seam of these that haven't been uncovered yet. There's unfinished business there. So, so you know, go, let us know wiye dot london at gmail dot com, and uh, and we'd be happy to um, to bring them to people's attention in uh, future podcasts. The Word Podcast: Prime cuts of popular culture served fresh each week. Okay, welcome back. Uh, we've been joined by uh, Magic Alex Gold. Who is where, Alex? Where are you? Go and tell tell the people where you are. I'm at the the Hilton Garden Inn, Heathrow Terminal Two, the Queen's Terminal. The glamour. Oh, the glamour. I've got, got a coffee machine. I've got I've got some milk. I don't drink milk, but it's just nice to have it there. It's a great selection of good. See, having just played Magic, you just played a gig at uh, somebody's wedding. You yeah. did all the music for the wedding, live live performance at a wedding in Berlin, right? Achieved the impossible and, and played played a show during the pandemic. Yeah, it was astonishing. So I went to Germany uh, to a place called Buchau, which yeah. is kind of halfway between um, Berlin and the Polish border. Yeah, Fox Germany, really picturesque, beautiful kind of um, old 
olden olden town um and yeah i played them in uh, during the ceremony which is lovely uh, alfresco affair next to a lake and then uh, i did um some i played some some bangers at the uh at the <laughs> uh, what, what bangers go on what what are the bangers du jour for weddings take, take me home country roads never lets me down Brown eyed girl, bit of beat, bit of Beatles. Uh, Brown eyed girl always been good to me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Which Beatles? Which Beatles? I did help because it was easy for them to sing. Um, yeah, you've got, you've got to pick ones that you know they're, they're amenable to German people singing along to. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So listen, it's your it's your considerable experience mm-hmm. at playing in rock and roll bands. Yes. In front of all kinds of audiences that we particularly want, we to, want tap to tap into. Harness absolutely at this at this stage of the podcast because I this started when I uh, they they have reissued the Rolling Stones Goat's Head Soup mm-hmm. with a kind of additional music additional CDs and one of the additional things is a bootleg of the Rolling Stones which was recorded at a show in Brussels I think in 1973 74 it's been around the bootleg for years and it's pretty good but listening to it it struck me forcibly once more why do the rolling stones in particular and groups in general seem to play their greatest hits so fast and it, it, to the extent that it's unsatisfactory yeah. and so i i tweeted to this fact you know i would like musicians out there to tell me you know why do why do bands play their greatest hits too fast and I got loads of responses. I got loads of sarky responses from people, non-musicians or whatever. You know, they want to get them over with, all that kind of stuff. And uh, I got an occasional considered thing from a musician, including Henry Priestman, who said, I've no idea. <laughs> and Henry's, Henry's been playing in bands for a long, for long time. 40 years or so. <laughs> yeah. And he doesn't really know. Uh, and what the what loads of people said? Oh, it's adrenaline, or it's all. What What do you think? Is it the case that people? Is it? Have you found that going either going to see shows or taking part in shows that people tend to play their big hits faster than they ordinarily would? Uh, yeah, and um, I think a lot of it is adrenaline, and it sort of distorts time. And I'm 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 really bad for this myself, actually. I'm what they call a pusher. I'm always ahead of, of the beat and it's just a bit bad habit I've got into but um you think you're playing slower than you are For so, the adrenaline distorts your view of tempo and time and somehow you think you're playing at the right speed whereas in fact you are playing too fast and if you listen back to yourself you realize that actually that sounds really fast but in the moment you haven't got a clue because it, it feels right you know, um, but is it, I'm going to interject because big hits are always played at the end. They never played them at the beginning. Surely the adrenaline must have worn off after an hour and a half of being on stage, isn't it? Have you calmed down a bit? I can imagine the first few numbers being a bit nervy and a bit, a bit pacey, but I don't know. No, I don't think it does. Uh, I, don't, I, you know, I think that um, there's a, there's a tendency to to also mistake um, speed for speed for power. You know, and oh, speed uh, for speed for excitement. Yeah, well. for excitement, because there's the idea that if you play faster, it's got to have more impact. It's, it's got to be more thrilling. It's a bit like lights. The more dazzling the lights are, the more exciting it is. The more you're bombarding people with sensory impression. But it's mainly the drummer, and the drummer will set the pace. Um, and the drummer will have the least clue generally uh, uh, with regards to how fast or slow they're playing. Um, but there's a really good rule of thumb 
um, which works especially well in the studio, and that's to try and approach your tempo um, with a mindset of walking through a swimming pool. So feeling the resistance. If it feels, if it feels a little bit slower than it should be, you're right. You get the right. Yeah. Now you see, I think this is really interesting, and you know, as I've said innumerable times on these podcasts, I'm no musician, but I know what I like, and. Uh, and the, the Rolling Stones uh, recordings that they do live too quickly have in their original incarnations precisely that resistance you talk about. Yeah. There is a sense of it's just being held back. Held back. No matter what it is. You know, just go and listen to Jumping Jack Flash. It's not racing away. It's just, it's like somebody holding on to horses that if you let them go, they would take you too fast. The classic case is Satisfaction, which I, you know, they, they recorded in 1965. And they, I don't think they played it right since the day they recorded it. Yeah. It, it well, just because they always played too fast. They yeah. played too fast. But, you know, so I think you have the adjustment that in their head, they think it's faster. And then as nerves play a part and adrenaline plays a, fast, a part, it gets even faster. You know yeah. what I mean? So you, you get the quick thing. That's done too fast. Well, it's surprising with the Stones because Charlie's a jazzer for a start, so he should know better. Uh, and also, um, he's famously behind the beat, you know. Um, so it's it's kind of surprising that <laughs> they're running away with it. Well, I, I want to ask you two questions about drummers because you are a drummer yourself. Yeah. Now, if you're saying that the drummer sets it up at the outset, if you're the drummer playing a live show... You're very much aware, presumably, that it's, lot, it's, lot, it's to do with physical stamina, isn't it? So you would naturally not play it too fast, wouldn't you? Because you think, I've got to be able to keep up with myself. No, I, it's, 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 not, um, it's not physically exhausting in the same way that going you know, for a session at the gym is or going for a run. Um, it's not knackering like that. That's the thing. And it's quite invigorating. Um, you don't feel tired. You really okay. don't. And in uh, fact, the more you put into it, the more you feel inclined to put into it. It's a really strange thing. Um, but, um, but yeah. How much yeah. do people play to click tracks? Yeah, so on Dave's, on Dave's uh, thread, lots of people are talking about click tracks. I mean, I'm astonished if that's the case. A lot more these days. It's, it's, it's pretty much standard fare these days. Um, and it's something so like... Ex- explain to people, explain to lay people like me, what's a click track? Go on, and how does it work in a live context? So a click track is uh, is a metronome essentially, um, yeah. and it's a uh, it's a, it, it's a series of, of metered clicks set to a particular tempo, um, and you play along with it. Um, and and the idea. So the drummer's got that in his ear. The drummer's got in his yeah. The drummer's got that in his ear, and of course, with um, with the advent of um, a lot more music using samples and, and loops and things like that, it's it's increasingly necessary for for the work the music to put together. Um, but um, yeah, it's um, it's it's a it's a metronome basically. Um, but I, I read something really interesting. Um, so uh, it was an article on how uh, the the approach to tempo and popular music has changed over the years. And they were measuring, I think, a modern EDM track against stuff like uh, "Message in a Bottle" by the Police. So Stuart Copeland, another jazz musician, you know. Um, meant to be really really good he is really really, he's great obviously um but the tempo apparently it goes all over the place that thing speeds up and slow pushes and pulls 
all the time. Um, but isn't that attractive? I, mean, I like that. Yeah, I'm sorry. Well, okay, but it's interesting. If you, which which police records are you talking about? Well, sorry, what was the one you mentioned? Message in a bottle. Yeah, message in a bottle. Not a not a dance record, I would guess. A very good record, very big number one hit record. Not a dance record. Nobody goes, oh, that's on. I'm going to take to the floor. Therefore, tempo wandering all over the place, less of a problem, I would have thought. I don't think it's necessarily a problem anyway, because it's it kind of makes, it gives music its um, its human element, I think. Yeah. Um, and as long as everybody's all going in the same direction, you listen to a record like My Generation, and I still think that's one of the most exciting recordings ever to be committed to tape. It's just perfect. And, and that's all, it's all over the place. It's all over. It's so, so messy, but somehow it's perfect. And it's um, what draws you in is its imperfection, I think, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, there's, there's arguments for and against, um, you know. Uh, uh, but, but presumably, you see, Mark and I were talking about, you know, there are certain acts, not many, that we could think of who don't seem to fall uh, victim to this. I don't think Bruce Springsteen does. You know, and we don't think McCartney does either. And I don't think McCartney does. If Bruce Springsteen plays Born in the USA, they're playing at the tempo. Because you can see with somebody like Bob Dylan, who's, who's constantly speeding up. I mean, I think it's fair to say that Bob Dylan is either bored of playing these songs or slightly embarrassed about it playing them, or slightly resentful about the fact that people are much more interested in hearing this terrible version of Maggie's Farm than they are hearing some song that he wrote, you know, 12 months ago, and he, he feels quite strongly about it. But also... Yeah. Bob Dylan's quite a scrappy musician. I mean, obviously yeah. he's the greatest writers of all time, but in, in terms of his, his musicianship, he's you know, he's he's not um he's he's not a virtuoso by any stretch no. of musician. Whereas someone like McCartney is, you know. McCartney's a, a musician's musician. So well Dave has a very good theory about this. And Dave's theory is, which I'll do for you, Dave, yeah, is that McCartney's band learned all McCartney's songs, not from McCartney, but obviously from growing up listening to his records. So yeah. they're they're fans. They grew up with the Beatles. They want to hear it. They want to hear Magical Mystery Tour or whatever it is, the way it sounded when when the record came out. Exactly, when it came out. So they're there. They're seeing it. Very rare thing, actually, for a group. They're seeing it from the audience's perspective. They're they're hearing it because, I mean, a lot of the time, the difference is is that the bands see the material they're playing in such a completely different way from the people in the audience and and, uh, and can't register what it is that it might mean to them. Isn't that true? A little bit interesting about um, about the Beatles band that I play for. So, uh, yes, I, I should point out because if anybody knows about being in the Beatles, yeah. it's Alex, because you've been you've been in the in Beatles, you know, tribute bands, cover bands, whatever. Yeah. You've done hundreds, if not thousands, of these kind of shows. Go on. Well, Therefore, well, you're playing incredibly yeah. familiar material. Go on. So, um, for the middle period and later period stuff. Um, we use uh, additional samples and loops um, and, and click tracks. And one in particular sticks out, it's Magical Mystery Tour. Now, what, what the guy who put together the samples has, has done is he's beat matched our sample with the actual recording. And the actual recording of Magical Mystery Tour pushes and pulls in really old places. It's really uh-huh. um, So the click is actually at about four different tempos. And the poor, our poor Ringo, whenever we play it, he's got to somehow follow this. <laughs> really? He's got to change tempo. <laughs> yeah. 
it's, it's ridiculous. So it kind of, you know, it completely belies the point of having the click, but he wanted to, he wanted it to be as authentic and as, uh, and, and to mirror the original recordings as, as, as much as possible. You know, um, a sensible person would have just done it to the click and, and done it to one tempo and it let, you know, nobody in the audience would have cared, you know, would have noticed. Uh, but, uh, but he's done it. He's, he's done it, uh, uh, precisely to the tempos on the record and, uh, uh. Right. Yeah, poor poor Andy. Every night he's he's having a bit of a so. A so what it, what's interesting is you know when I put this tweet out, I don't think anybody denied it. Do they? Everybody just agreed. No. Oh yeah, they all said it's true. They all, now whether whether it's strictly true or not, the audience certainly feel that these things are being hurried. That that they the, the bit that they've come to the show for is being somehow glossed over. By, by the musicians who would rather play you their new tune. Precisely. It's perfunctory, isn't it? <laughs> yes. it was a bit of, somebody tweeted things like that Frank Skinner said he was at a Chuck Berry gig, and Chuck Berry told the audience, if we do a little of each one, we'll get more done. So he was doing kind of medleys, which sounds absolutely well, appalling. I mean, I mean that, having said that, that, of course, Queen's medley in the live aid was one of the... Well, it, were, it that that worked. worked on that occasion, because people understood yeah. you've only got 20 minutes. Yeah, absolutely. So you've got to get it all in. But, I mean, the idea that someone would just do a medley of their greatest hits... Well, that used, that used to be the Motown way, you know. That was, the per, that was always the complaint about, if you were yeah. to the Four Tops or whatever in the 60s that they'd rush through. They'd start playing and reach out, I'll be there. And then it would it would morph into standing in the shadows of love. And the audience are not sitting there going, oh, whoopee, a medley. They're going, bloody hell, stop. Go, you know, go yeah. more slowly. Go, go and, back and uh, play the whole thing. And, I get, you know, I, got, I, I get some musicians in response to my, my tweet saying, well, who's to say what's the right version? Which is, all right, a fair point, you know. But, it, but I would counter that by saying I, there are hardly any examples I can think of where people have gone on stage and played their hits more slowly. They haven't, they haven't mucked about with it in that way, have they? They mucked about with it by accelerating it because that's just the way they are. Yeah, um, but I would say that there's, there's probably a bit of a lack of awareness that, that you know, they, they don't realise that they're doing it. You know, they're, they're kind of carried away on the energy of, of, of the room, of the stadium, whatever. And, um, and it's distorted. It's this, they say time's stretchy, don't they? Time is not linear. And it's, uh, but this is a whole different conversation, but. Now, uh, do you you know what, what live pop music needs, Alex? Because I'm here to tell you, and it never have. Well, listen, in the theatre, they have things called directors. Okay. (laughs) And, you know, the actors taking the stage at the beginning of Hamlet, They've got just as much adrenaline coursing through them as any musicians, but they don't whiz through the ghost scene in like two minutes, and you know, because and, they're nervous. <laughs> because they're nervous, <laughs> they just don't do it. Because they know if they did, if they did, a director would bollock them afterwards. You know, there would be regular reviews of the performance. You know, you, sorry, a friend of mine was um, playing violin for ELO last year, I think it was, and I. I was I was quite surprised to learn that uh, ELO have an MD. Jeff Lynn apparently has an MD um, who sorts out all the band's arrangements, and uh, it's a really good idea. You get you, you do you end up with a with a real solid prospect, you know. Um, so there's a music director, somebody somebody there to kind of uh, 
you know, to ensure discipline. I think that ranks. happens more than you think, actually. The bass player of Bob, Bob Dylan's band is the, is the musical director. He just did, does all the arrangements, and Bob Dylan just has to come in and, <laughs> and growl the vocal, you know. Yeah. It's, all, it's all taken care of. Yeah. But they, yeah, but it's a question of keeping, you know, if if bands are not aware that they're playing slightly faster than they ought to, it surely isn't beyond the wit of man to correct that problem by somebody saying, you're playing slightly too fast. <laughs> Rain it in a little bit. Um, yeah, like the theatre, like getting notes at the theatre. Yeah. Well, so the director know, will turn up halfway through with a little notebook saying, I'm in a bass player, I think you'll find... Then on, uh, you know, drummer, message in a bottle, a little bit too speedy again. Okay, but in every, all right, so, but in every other area of music, that's exactly what happens, isn't it? It's absolutely. The conductor or the leader of the orchestra or the, you know, whoever leads the jazz group. Now, Alex, you've also had experience, not just rock bands, but with ukulele orchestras, haven't you? Which yeah. are very kind of different thing, aren't they? And that hasn't got a that hasn't got a, a conventional drummer there, has it? So presumably doesn't have these issues. Um, the, the, the tricky thing with the uke orchestra is because there's no drummer, um, and you've got so how do I explain this? <clears throat> so studio musicians will, in the main, have a tendency to be on tempo. Musicians that mainly play live and don't do an awful lot of studio sessions, they're the ones that push, that tend to push. And in the Uke Orchestra, you've got a spectrum of seven, eight players. Um, uh, and you've got, you've, got, you've got some draggers and you've got some pushers. And right. <laughs> so you do end up sometimes with you some... Need, a, a you, need, you need the two. I think that's a really good way of looking at it. You know, draggers or pushers. Draggers v pushers. All, yeah, all, all bands should have a couple of draggers against a couple of pushers. And somehow you'll end up, you'll end up in the right place. But you've got no, you've got no drums. So, uh, and normally you're listening to the drums for your tempo. You know, you, you're going along with the bass and the snare drum, yeah. whether it's or not. So, with that missing, you have to be a little bit more aware. But our musical directors, um, well, our, our musical director, which should be uh, a thing for rock bands as well, is uh, is pretty pretty tough on all that. You know, he does pull you up every day. He pulls me up every day on the on my tempo. Um, but I've um, I did a tour with a with a with an orchestra orchestra a couple of winters ago and that was uh an experience um, playing what instrument so i was playing guitar and oud which is um like a turkish sort of yeah like, no, yeah 11 yeah. string it's horrible uh but uh i'm glad that you know i'm glad i've got that under my belt now but um so we had a conduct a conductress um so i had my music on the stave in front of me and i was reading that but also trying to watch her so can, you can sight read can you alex yeah, I'm, not, I'm not great but uh, yeah, I had to teach pretty sharpish when I joined the Uke Orchestra. Um, so in the Uke Orchestra, we don't have a conductor. So our, our MD, um, he just, you know, he, he'll, he'll sort us out in sound check, basically. And right. then, you know, it's, it's kind of a set up like a band, I suppose. But I told you about my experience where, when I was doing a thing with a jazz orchestra. Okay. And just, just going along to the, a really good jazz orchestra. I wasn't playing an instrument. I was narrating or whatever. And I went along to the, we're having a, we're having a sound check, right? It, it, it starts at five o'clock. It'll be finished by 
I thought, well, thank you very much. In my experience, sound checks expand to fill the time available for them, don't they? They, they just absolutely go on forever. And I got, I got there. And they Not all if finished. there's 27 people or whatever. I no, guess but they'll, they'll, they'll finish at 10 past five because basically what they do is they say, okay, bar 32. Yeah. And so they just run bar 32. He goes, okay, that's better. Bar 74. <laughs> and then the next tune and, and the next tune, and that's we sorted out the problems. Because you're not playing the whole thing, are you? There's right. an, it's not feel. It's, a, it's just taken for granted you can do that. It's just cleaning up little little problems, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, spit and polishing, I suppose. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's a, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really good approach because, you know, if you're doing a long tour, you know, and you're constantly tidying up a little bit of... Uh, the show every day, you know, you, you can really feel the progress by the end of it. You know, you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so what's what's the fastest song you've ever played, Alex? In your experience, and your in your mad punk moments, have you have yeah. you raced through some Clash tune in like ten seconds or anything? It was yeah, it was probably a punk rock tune actually. So I used to play with the band called The Boys, um, who were Joey Ramone's favourite band. Um, I fell into a, a lot of 70s punk rock work for some reason for, for a few years. And we used to play a song called Box Number, which is a reasonably fast number anyway, but um, we used to play it at about 10 times the speed. It was like several several freight trains running off several cliffs at the same time. But, um, but so, the just, great, so the great enjoyment of the band. And that, you know, <laughs> yeah. probably, probably some puzzlement by the, among the audience. Yeah, not anyway. the audience, maybe. Uh, <laughs> well, look, thanks very much uh, for that um, that injection of consultancy. We shall, re- we shall return to you. a rare professional tone. <laughs> yeah, very yes. good. We slip it up. We're giving people bits of information uh, <laughs> amongst everything else. And... Uh, So we'll be back in a moment. This is a junction in the Word podcast. It separates that bit from this next bit. So we we were talking on the the, the pod a couple of weeks back about um, various acts being uh, righteously pissed off that uh, (laughs) Trump had appropriated some of their songs and used them in his campaigns and they were complaining about it, trying to get it stopped legally. And it's just an interesting development, wasn't it, the other day, (laughs) that Trump played this rally... Uh, appeared this rally and used the song Fortunate Son by right. Queen's Clearwater Revival, which, I mean, whenever that came out, was it they were late 60s? Well, during the, during, during during the, during the Vietnam, Vietnam War. War. And, and it's used that, as a kind of example of, of just of, of how people managed to avoid draft. Avoid the draft. They had rich parents <laughs> and it was all that sort of, you know, excuses for getting you out of actually having to, to take part it, in it. Yeah, the, re- the refrain is, it ain't me, it ain't me, I ain't no fortunate son. That's right. Uh, and, of course, Donald Trump was the absolute classic. Classic. The he avoided, the five times he avoided yeah. draft, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. So it Bone just, Spurs Day. Yeah. Was it the Bone Spurs? <laughs> it was. Whatever. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so so the irony there is richer than usual, isn't it? Yeah. But I suppose it just indicates that, you know, people don't. People don't listen to what these songs are about. They don't. You'd think that you'd think that he would have a team. Well, he does have a team of, 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 of fairly astute researchers to make sure that kind of faux pas doesn't happen. But it does. But People it, constantly play "Born in the USA" by, by Bruce Springsteen and those kind of things, don't well, they? Yeah, kind of working out precisely what the song's about. It's yeah. roughly what you know. They, they appear to kind of exemplify attitude, embody attitudes that he yeah. wishes to be allied with. You know, kind of a I'm. You know, I I don't care me. I say what I like. You know, yeah. it's quite it's quite interesting about the kind of. Uh, 
you know, the, the, the kind of, that the kind of outlaw heritage of rock and roll ends up being used in this particular way, you know, which says says lots of things about how the world has changed in the years since those um, since those things were originally done. Um, but that's uh, that's a very complicated conversation, it is. Uh, which we can't get into here. But uh, anyway, tune in for more uh, news on extraordinary things played by Donald Trump at rallies in in weeks to come. You know, who knows what it'll be? The times they are changing. I don't know. No idea. So. Uh, what are we? What are we going to do? We've got to talk about uh, all the things that we do. Actually, we've got to. We got some new patrons. We should mention oh, the new okay. patrons. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. We should, can we? Can we pipe aboard? Yes. The yes, tremendous yes. Philip Barry. Thank you, and Philip. Duncan Edwards and Duncan Ed Newman. There's a name, Duncan Edwards. Go on. Yeah, Baz and Kath. Okay. Uh, Andy Hill, who I think is an annual patron. Peter Kelly, uh, Jocelyn Randall, and the tremendously named Harbournaut. Harbournaut. All very welcome. Well, it's, it's very nice to have you all join the team. And, uh, you know, what, what you're uh, helping do is to keep this, uh, this ship afloat. And this ship does a variety of things, some of which you may have heard or seen, some of which you may not have done. Uh, you know, podcasts like this, our regular word in your ear, sort of evenings, events, crowdcast uh, events with, with authors, uh, we've had some all, all ready, ready the, which are out there. There'll be the next one featuring me, actually. It is, I'm um, And uh, but but also our very popular Word in Your Attic series, which goes from strength to strength. And uh, if you if you look on the uh, on patreon.com slash word in your ear, you'll find the full details of how you could avail yourself of the opportunity of having a Mark Allen and myself, magically, by the, by the magic of digital media, appear in your attic and look in at your, your junk on the, on the occasion of your birthday. And so there's all this stuff going on. Your chance to show us all your, your rare and coveted albums. So, so basically, if you, if you want to make sure you don't miss any of this stuff and you want to make sure that you get it first and you want to make sure that you see things as well as hear things, You've got to have a look at what we're offering for our Patreon supporters. So as I said, patreon.com slash word in your ear. Roll up, roll up, the more the merrier. Okay. And we'll see you next week. Next time. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.